without me? You know, I'm sure you continue to be fine without me. I, uh, I won't bother you no more, Dad. All right. Just sorry. Sorry for everything. Bye. Well, that video comes right out of the passage of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning for Father's Day, and <clears throat> we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, <laughs> as we see a father's love here. 
you know, I was in, when I was in high school and working at Chick-fil-A, uh, we were always the last uh, group out of the mall at night after we had to finish the cleaning. <clears throat> Security guards would close the upper parking lot where we would park at Century Plaza. And uh, so we would always have to go get our vehicles and bring them down into the regular parking lot. And so instead of having all the different employees run up there, they would just send one person up to go and, and bring all the vehicles down. And so the one evening there was a, uh, one lady who uh, was tasked with that uh, responsibility. And, and as I'm handing her uh, my father's keys for the Ford Bronco II, I ask her, do you know how to drive stick shift? Yeah, I know how to drive stick shift. And within a half an hour, I find out that um, she didn't know how to drive stick shift because uh, she ran into the cement base of the light pole that I had parked in front of and uh, made a mess of the front of my dad's uh, Ford Bronco too. And I was scared um, to call my dad, but I did anyhow. And I'm crying as I'm calling him. And, and I remember his response was just love, concern, and care for me. He didn't care about that vehicle at all. I thought he would. would I, thought what, what, I thought that's what he would be most concerned about. He, was like, he didn't care anything about the vehicle. He's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just scared. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I just knew that he loved me and he cared about me. He was concerned about me. And if you were here on uh, the, the Sunday um, for our uh, revival rally day, you heard my father begin his message by telling you how proud he was of his children, that they're all serving the Lord in some capacity. And then he shared with you and told you about my brother who'd been an alcoholic for 16 years and how my dad and my mom just continually loved him and never stopped loving him and praying for him. And um, that the love and prayers are what sustained my brother through a very difficult time in his life. And uh, he returned to the Lord and, and has an active, intimate relationship with Jesus today. And we got to be with, with him and his daughters and my sister and my parents this past week in Alabama. So we were vacationing there and and so I know that some of us here this morning could tell similar stories about our fathers. We would be able to share how our fathers were loving, caring, and concerned about us instead of a car or some other material possession that was ruined on our watch. But I'm not naive to believe that there are those of you here today, too, that don't have any good memories of your fathers. Our fathers were harsh and unkind and unloving. And perhaps they were verbally, mentally, or, and or physically abusive. And you would say today, I don't want anything to do with, with my dad. And I know people just like that. Where they're like, I don't, I don't want to do anything for my father. I don't want him to be around me. I don't, I don't want to see him. And so I realized that Father's Day is a, is a struggle for you. It's not a day of celebrating and remembering. Jesus told three parables in Luke chapter 15 about lost things. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and a lost son. And we're going to focus on the lost son this morning because it talks about human beings and relationships. Jesus used the parable to illustrate God the Father's love, care, and concern for us as human beings. And since God the Father is holy, which means that he's perfect, we can look to him, especially when our earthly fathers have failed us. Or after our earthly fathers have passed on we can still rely and turn to him as a holy, heavenly father. Luke wants us to understand from this passage today that God never stops loving us. That's our big idea. And so as we just contemplate that this morning, would you bow your heads with me? Oh, Lord, I just come to you this morning recognizing my humanity, my brokenness, uh, the, the faults uh, that I have, Lord God. 
And I'm unable to stand here in my own strength today. And so I rely upon your strength. Lord God, I just pray that, that my words would just fall to the ground and that yours would be lifted up as we look into your word today. As we understand that you are a perfect heavenly father who loves us unconditionally who loves us eternally. And Lord, I pray that you would allow that truth to sink deep into our hearts and minds as we look at the prodigal son. And we just ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin at verses 11 to 16. And this is the rebellion. In Luke chapter 15, this is what God's word says. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so we see here this financial windfall in verses 11 to 13a. Most of us would probably say that we expect some kind of inheritance from our parents. And from a biblical perspective, that would be true. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22 says this, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And then we also see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, these words, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we would look at Scripture and we say, hey, we're expecting some kind of inheritance to come our way when our uh, mother and father, uh, our, our parents pass away. We would probably agree that we don't really talk about the inheritance, though, right? Most of us aren't like, I can't wait, you know. Every time we get together, we're like, how, how long are you going to be around, Dad? Mom, how are you feeling today? You feeling strong? Okay. You know, we are not talking about that. And we don't do that with our, with our siblings either. We don't go, uh, hey, uh, I want this particular item from mom and dad's house. You know, I know families that do that. Uh, th that's not our family, though. And so, but we don't just don't talk about it. You know, the Lord's blessed Judy and I, and my parents have talked to my brother, sister, and I about various furniture pieces in their house. And so they know what uh, we would like to have when they're gone. But I've told my parents that there isn't anything I have to have. There's, there's not like anything that I'm like, if I don't have it, then I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset that I didn't get that particular thing from my parents. I'm content to have whatever is left over. And the sentimental value is more important to me than the item itself. It's the memories that are stored up in that particular item. And I, I, can, just, I can still have the memories whether or not I have the furniture piece or whatever it is. And so I'm content with what God has provided for us. And I've heard stories of that not being the case in some families. There's fights and hard feelings after the individual passes away and because more than one person wants a particular item. And so they fight over it, right? And it's like, oh, my goodness. And this is how you want to act after your parent passes away. But it happens, doesn't it? 
So what we see here then is in this parable, the younger son makes an uncharacteristic, an unusual request of his father. In the ancient Near East, it was not uncommon, it was not common practice to divide the inheritance prior to death. It's not that it didn't ever happen. I'm just saying it's rare. And that normally happened after the patriarch was gone, and the younger son wanted his share of the estate while his father was still living. And amazingly, this father grants the request. We begin to see the character and love of the father at the very beginning of this parable. He grants the younger son's request. The the father divided his property between the older and the younger son. The older son received double the inheritance. It was two-thirds. This younger son was only going to receive a third. And so we see in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 22, verse 17, that this was how it was to be set up. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. That is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. So what he's talking about here is if, um, you know, this man had two wives, and one of them he didn't love that much, the other one, and we see that, right, in some of the patriarchs in Scripture. They, They didn't really love this one. They loved this one more, but this one actually produced the first heir, the first son, the unloved wife. And so, you know, Scripture's saying, hey, just because this guy didn't love this woman as much, this is still his firstborn son. And, and the right of firstborn goes to him. He gets the double portion. He gets two-thirds of the estate. And so that's what he's talking about here. And so the younger son would only receive this one-third, but that was enough for him. He was fine with that. And I can only imagine what the younger son was saying prior to receiving his portion of the estate. Perhaps it's the same things we hear today from our own children. I can't wait to leave this house and be out on my own. Right? Maybe you've heard that from your children. I can't stand being a part of this family anymore. I want to move out. We hear those kind of things, and perhaps he was just a young man. He wasn't married yet, so the, a lot of commentators believe that he was just a, a young man, uh, mid to late teens at this point. And uh, <clears throat> while it was certainly not the desire or the wish of the father, he lovingly grants the younger son's request. And then what we see later or here is not long after that, that passage, those words, uh, the younger son uh, had, a, uh, had to have time to liquidate his portion of the estate, because part of his estate was land and property and probably buildings, perhaps. And so he needed to liquidate that so he could have cash. He could have money in hand. And he didn't waste any time. He had to sell all of that so that he could have the money that he desired. And once he had the money in hand, he was ready to move out and move on. In the Baker exegetical commentary, they quote Shrank as saying, perceptively suggests that this image pictures the heavenly father letting the sinner go his own way. See, because this is a parable, so it's, uh, you know, it's, not, it's not particularly a, an actual story that's, that's taking place. Jesus is telling this parable to help them understand who God the Father is. <clears throat> so that leads us to principle one today, that God allows us to pursue our free will. He just allows us to pursue that. God never forces human beings to be in a relationship with him. That's his desire, His desire is that we will want to be in a relationship with him since he created us, but he's not going to force us into that relationship. I like what Jeremiah 31.3 says. It says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. See, he wants to be in relationship with us. Acts chapter 17, verses 27 to 28 tell us this. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He's our father. 
He created us. John chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, we can be a part of God's family if we believe in who Jesus is and what he came to do, if we receive him into our lives. Most of us know of someone who is currently pursuing their own free will. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that God's desire is that what makes it so difficult is to watch this loved one pursue the things of this world instead of the Lord. We can certainly give them sound advice. We can pray for them. Those are great things to do. But never stop loving them and letting them know that you love them. And that's the first next step today, is to pray for the person I know who is pursuing their free will and let them know that I love them. Never stop telling them that. Yeah, they might disappoint you. They might do things that you know they shouldn't be doing, but your love for them should not diminish as a result of that. You should continue to let them know, I love you. If you're married, we love you. We're always here for you. And so that's important. And we'll see that the father in this parable never stopped loving his son. The younger son has sold all of his inheritance and has the money in hand. Now it's time to leave. And in the second part of verse 13, we see this freedom that he uh, can't wait to have, right? He can't wait to get out on his own. Um, the only problem is, is he forgot all the Dave Ramsey stuff that he learned, right? About, about finances and about budgeting and about all of that stuff. Because the younger son left for a distant country and wasted his wealth on wild living. He didn't save anything. And so when we're out on our own, most of us didn't move uh, to a distant country, although most mothers would say that having their child move out of state is like them moving to a distant country. <laughs> I guess just, that's a couple of states away. It's, it's like you went to a different country. Do you remember what you did when you were finally out on your own? Whether it was renting uh, your first apartment or going off to college, do you remember what you decided to do or not do since you were independent now? I remember deciding to stay up late as late as I wanted to. I didn't have anybody saying, hey, you should be going to bed. And I, got to, I stayed up late. Uh, now, my parents pretty much uh, let me do that, I guess, the last two years of high school. But I just remember not feeling guilty about it. When I was at college, I was like, no, I don't feel, so bad. I don't feel bad. I'm staying up late. I'm playing video games, a lot of video games. And I know that other young uh, people decide that they're no longer going to go to church. They're like, ah, oh, finally I can get out from underneath mom and dad. I don't have to go to church anymore. Others uh, made decisions about how they would eat or what they would eat and drink, who they would hang out with, uh, what they would watch or listen to, and perhaps how they spoke. Maybe they were already doing those things but were guarded around their parents, and now they pursued those things without being guarded or feeling guilty. And I'm sure life was grand for this younger son until the money ran out, Right? And then we see the, that there was this famine in the land, verses 14 to 16. To make things worse, the country where he, this, where he was currently living experienced a severe famine. The young man had no money, and now there was no food. And it says no one was willing to help him. He did want to, uh, what he did um, is what he needed to do in order to survive. He hired himself out. Now we have to remember the setting in which Jesus is telling this parable. So let's go back to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 
And this is the, the context for that. Now the tax, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with, and eats with them. So Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees and, and the uh, religious leaders, uh, the teachers of the law, an important lesson. Like they didn't, they didn't want to associate with Gentiles. They didn't want to associate with sinners and tax collectors. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were concerned with who Jesus was welcoming and who he was eating with. And Jesus was trying to help them understand that they needed to be reaching the lost, which required welcoming them and eating with them. Well, they didn't want to do that. And the Jewish religious leaders would have struggled with one of their sons feeding pigs. Think about that for a minute. These are Jews. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're Jews. Pigs are unclean. You don't touch them. You don't go near them. And here, obviously, the son is feeding pigs. And so they're like, mm-mm, this isn't going to work for us. This is, this is unclean. And although the young man had a job, no one gave him anything, is what it says here. He probably had some meager wages, but was still having trouble finding food to buy. It was a severe famine. And so the famine was so severe that he was still going hungry, even though he might have had a little bit of money in his pocket. Sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom before we realize what we had when we lived at home. <laughs> How many of you are like, I would love to go live in my parents' house again today. Can I go back in time now with the knowledge that I have? Boy, it would be different. I would act differently. I would, I would treat my parents differently. It would be a different story altogether. And uh, I, I think that would be kind of neat. But I really like where I am in my life right now. So. That's exactly what happened with this young man. We see in verses 17 to the first part of verse 20, the repentance that takes place. Look at those verses with me if you would. When he came to his senses, doesn't that happen often? After some life experience, right? He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death? I will set up and, or, yeah, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. And so we see this repentance taken here, and it comes in, in two phases. Wisdom, in verse 17, this young man knew that the men his father hired were not starving like him. In fact, they had food to spare. These hired men were not even family, yet they were well taken care of. These weren't servants. These were day workers, by the way. So they would come in and work for this, uh, for, you know, for, for the landowner and then go home, but he would pay them each day. So wisdom is this. It comes from the Cambridge Dictionary. The ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. <laughs> That's exactly what he went through. He had knowledge now and experience. And he's like, I'm going to use that wisdom to say, I'm going to go home. I'm going to repent. And so this young man uses this knowledge of his father's household and his current experience of starving to death to make a good decision to humble himself and return home. So we see wisdom, but we also see humility here in verses 18 and 19. And it's, we see humility in the rehearsed statement he's planning to share with his father. He's recognizing that his desire to pursue his own free will by requesting his portion of the estate and then wasting it on wild living was sin. And that showed great humility on his part to recognize that and to admit it. 
Humility is not an easy characteristic to achieve because it requires the acknowledgement of wrong. It requires that we repent and own our faults. The young man realized that he had not only sinned against his father, but also against God. We also see his humility in the fact that he's willing to be considered just a hired hand instead of family. He had disgraced his family's name through his wild living. And even though he had done these things in a distant country, word had gotten back to his family. And we see that in the older son's response to his father in chapter, Luke chapter 15, verse 30, where he says this, But when his, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. They knew. They knew what he had been doing in this far-off country. And when this young man uh, comes to his senses, he doesn't hesitate. Verse 20, the first half of that, he's a man of action at this point. He got up and went to his father. He left his job of feeding pigs. He left a distant country where he had pursued his own free will to return to his father's house. And we see here principle two, that with wisdom and humility comes repentance and restoration. We have to get to that point, don't we? Of wisdom and humility in order to repent and be restored. The young man was ready to repent, which showed great humility and wisdom on his part. And perhaps that's where some of us are at today. We've been pursuing our own free will. We've turned away from our family and from God. We've sinned against heaven and our families. We've separated ourselves from those who love us and support us, whether it's family and or God. But here's the great thing. It's not too late to pursue wisdom and humility and to repent and return. The second next step today is this, to recognize my sin, repent of it, and return to the Lord and my family. We see the humility of the son in returning home, but we also see the humility of the father in his response. The third point today is restoration. Look at verses, uh, second half of verse 20 and to verse 24. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer... I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the uh, father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We see compassion here in the second part of verse 20. The son hasn't even gotten to his father's estate yet, but the father sees him a long way off. This tells us that the father was looking for the son every day. His desire was that the son would return home. That leads us to the third principle. No matter how sinful you are, God waits patiently and lovingly for you to return to him. The father was filled with compassion. He never stopped loving his son. The same is true of God. He never stops loving you. And God's desire is that we return to him. In the culture of the day a father would never have run to meet his son. That was considered just taboo to do. And he definitely wouldn't have run to embrace a son who had humiliated and brought disgrace on the family name. And yet, that's exactly what his father did. God does the same for us. We, we've um, humiliated and brought disgrace on our Creator. By, by living our own free will, going our own way. 
And here the father expressed his love for his son by hugging and kissing him. Too often men are stoic when it comes to expressing their love, even for their children. How many times have we heard about, uh, adult children say that their father never told them that he loved them? And fathers will tell us that their children knew that they loved them, even if they didn't say it. Guess what? Guys, they need to hear it. They need to hear it. Our children need to hear us say that we love them. And it's not too late to tell them, even if they're grown. Fathers, today I encourage you to pull your children in if they're near, even if they're adults. Give them a hug. Tell them that you love them. That's my challenge for fathers today. Maybe you'll see your children this week. Reach out to them. Tell them that you love them. Their response may be, Dad, have you been diagnosed with a terminal illness? Right? Like, what's going on? Uh, are you going to die? <laughs> Say, no, but I want to express to you how much I love you. You're important to me. You're a value to me. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. Even if it comes as a shock to them, I encourage you to do it anyway and continue to do it. Don't just do it once. Like, okay, check mark, got it done. Did it once. That's all they need for the rest of their life. Right? No, it, do it continually. Let them know. Perhaps there are those of you here today who didn't have a loving father. Our fathers may have passed away, so we'll never hear them say that they love us. But I want to encourage those of us who are experiencing that with these words from Scripture today. Psalm chapter 103, verses 13 to 18, tell us this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. He has love on those who fear him. It's not to be afraid of him, but it's to reverence him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Isn't that wonderful? From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Hold on to that today. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He, God loves every person in humanity. No one is exempt from his love. I already shared Jeremiah 31.3 with you earlier, but I want to share it again. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That's a love that never ends. Everlasting love. He loves us, and his love for us never stops. That's a perfect heavenly father that we can turn to when we had an earthly father that we can't turn to. So God never stops loving us. The son repents and receives forgiveness and restoration. We see that in verses 21 to 24. The son only gets to share the first half of his rehearsed statement. It's the most important part. It's repentance. He tells his father that he has sinned against heaven and against him. He's no longer worthy to be called his son. He never gets to express his willingness to forfeit his status as a son and be considered a hired hand. Isn't that cool? He only just gets to repent. And what we see next is the restoration of this young man to the family unit. 
The father won't consider his son anything but family. The items required by the fire, I'm sorry, requested by the father were for family only. A best robe, a ring, sandals. Hired hands didn't even receive those items. Most hired hands didn't even wear shoes. But here we are with the father. And he's requesting those things of his son. He's like, you're still part of my family. Principle four is this. God restores us when we repent. Sin separates us from God. We see that in Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from sin, just as we're not exempt from his love. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin, what we earn, what we deserve for our sin is death. And it's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God. We can't be where he's at because of that darkness of sin in our lives. But Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection enables us to have that relationship restored. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18-21 to 21 say this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our righteousness doesn't come in in and of ourselves. It only comes through Jesus Christ. And then we can become children of God. I already read this verse to you, but I want to share it again. John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the third next step today is this, it's to repent of my sins and become a child of God. And really experience what it is like to have a perfect father. Someone who loves us unconditionally. Someone who loves us everlasting with a love that never ends. Now what we see here is a celebration. The father instructs the servants to bring the fattened calf and kill it. A celebration is about to begin. The father is celebrating the fact that the son he thought he had lost through death is alive and has returned. And there's a celebration every time someone repents and returns to the Lord. We see that in Scripture. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says this, I tell you, these are the other two parables in, in Luke chapter 15, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That's the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin ends this way, Luke chapter 15, verse 10, In the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Guess what? God is poised and ready to start the celebration when you're ready to repent and turn to him. Today is that day. I encourage you to make that decision today. Who do you know that's pursuing their own free will? Are you praying for them? And have you told them that you love them? Are you ready to pursue wisdom and humility and repent and return to the Lord? God is waiting patiently and lovingly for you to return to him. And finally, God's ready to restore you. Are you ready to repent? As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to love those who are pursuing the things of this world. So who do we need to love today? I want to close with this illustration. This is from the Holman New Testament commentary. This is what it says. 
I will never forget the man's face that June afternoon as he sat there on those hard bleacher seats in the high school football stadium. The hot sun was constantly pulling sweat from his body and turning his face a nice shade of pink. He was oblivious. His eyes focused on one young man on the football field. What's up, I whispered. I'm, I'm waiting for my son. Soon he will cross the stage and get his honors diploma. Then it's off to college on a full academic scholarship. We are so proud of him. Two years later, I met the same man. He called, uh, called me to go with him. We rode in silence up to the interstate to the university town. We met a lawyer and walked across the street to the county jail. What's up, I finally asked. I'm waiting for my son. He sniffed, trying to hold back the tears. Police picked him up for shoplifting, afraid he's on drugs, too. Just a few months ago, I met my friend yet again. This time, I was seated in a beautiful little church. The man stood by his son at the front, looking up the aisle, as if I, if I could have whispered again, what's up? He would have whispered back, I'm waiting for my son to get married. His beautiful, vivacious bride will be walking down the aisle toward us in just a minute. I am so proud of him. This time, I have been waiting 10 years, but finally the wait is over. Drugs, alcohol, and jail are all behind him. He's back in church and thinking about going into, into the ministry. I'm so excited. This father can read Luke 15 with special understanding. He knows what it means to wait for a prodigal son. He can identify with all the emotions that run through the father after he watched his son disappear down the long road to oblivion. Now he knows the joy of seeing the son come back, penitent and sad, seeking another chance at life. He knows the joy of running to the returning son with outstretched arms, ready to plant a big kiss on him. He truly understands party time. Now each day is a celebration as he experiences the joy of finding a lost sinner, reconciling with a lost son. Our Father in heaven will... St still stands at the corner looking for another lost child to come home. You have a heavenly Father who loves you that much. His open arms wait for you to see that you are a lost sinner needing to come home to Abba, your daddy in heaven. The party can be ready in a flash if you will come. Having come home and enjoyed the party, then you can join the Father at the corner watching for more lost children to come home. You can sit beside the elder brother and show him how much the father has always loved him even if he never got around to party time. You can let the joy flow as you seek the lost and watch as the father saves them. Isn't that a great illustration? A great reminder that just as our heavenly father never stops loving us, we need to do the same with our children. We need to continue to love them no matter what they're going through. We need to let them know that verbally. They need to know it more than just through your actions. And so I hope that you're encouraged today uh, through God's word uh, that God never stops loving us. As the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me and we'll close then with uh, a closing song. Lord, we just come to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we learned through this parable about who you are as our Heavenly Father. We thank you that you love us perfectly. Maybe we've never experienced that kind of love before, and I pray today would be the day. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that, um, that we would just repent and return to you. That, Lord God, we would pray for and love on those that are away from you right now. And, Lord, we just lift, the, lift them up to you today. 
and pray that you would work in their hearts and minds. You would help them to recall the things that they learned as a child about a relationship with you. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.